is this? Ah, the French. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa! Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. I'm going to I'm under what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Wilson. Good night. Gentlemen, this is the Buckersay Manifest. Recording from the top of the Ferris wheel at the Smogville World Fair. It is World Champion Podcast with your co-host, Brighton SLC. And I am Sean Black. World Champion Podcast is a freeform conversation where we... Oh, man, so you were close. so close. So close. You you had maybe three more words, and you would have got that award. I totally forgot what the thing is that we say. Freeform conversation where we discuss tales and intrigue from the fringes of society. That's close enough. You're usually tripped up by fringe dwellers. Fringe dwellers but, is what gets us, because we are fringe dwellers. That's right. We signed a bad contract and have become the official podcast of the Smogville World Fair, the most exciting world fair east of the Pacific. And then we just talk about our view from up here at the top of the Ferris wheel. Yeah, and we try to beat the heat. Yes. Um, Smogville, here's some exciting news. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Rio de Janeiro games. The, the Olympic yes, games. The Olympic games. I've yeah. heard about them. The big They're games. Kinda, the Olympics are a poor man's... World's Fair, right? Pretty much. And Rio de Janeiro is the poor man's Smogville. It's, that's true. That's so what they always say about it. They have been granted the Olympics that are supposed to start in just a few weeks. Um, it's, it's great that we have that giant sign that says Smogville, a rich man's Rio de Janeiro. It is, and it brings in enough tourists that I think it's worth it. It was mm-hmm. worth the... Because uh, they did a Kickstarter to pay for that sign. That's right. And well, uh, it was a, it they was, raised like $96,000. It was a Kickstarter that was required that you... You pay. People went door to door. It was very kind of frightening, actually. And right. Intimidating. But it was technically a Kickstarter. Representatives of the Duck Mayor mm-hmm. went door to door, forcing you to pay. Raised $96,000. And true. it's a good sign. It's, I don't know how much signs cost. Well, it's got... But apparently $96,000. It's got that reflective paint on it and all, all kinds of little... It does, yeah. You can see it at night if you shine your headlights on it just right. Mm-hmm. But, yes, Rio de Janeiro games, they're worried about the Zika virus, they're worried about security, some of the facilities aren't finished yet. Mm-hmm. There's rumors, and even the uh, acting governors down there said that maybe they should cancel them, so we're making a last-minute bid here in Smogville. Oh, yeah, and that, the, I would love that, to see the, the Olympics come to Smogville. Oh, it would be great. And some of the pros are, yes, there's rampant diseases, but all of them have existing vaccines here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zika's been around for a long time here, so it's no big deal. Right. No, and yes, You take your, your Zika bites, which are these kind of... They're almost like donut holes. You, you, you eat Z- them once a week, and it kind of you know fends off the Zika virus. Well, when they come around to collect the money, they give you the Zika bite. Right. Yeah, and it tastes pretty good. I mean, it's not really sweet or savory. It's mm. it's just kind of odd. It's well, very kind of grainy. Yeah, kind of by, chalky. By, by grainy, I mean bit. like chalky, sandy, yeah. gritty. With a real strong flavor, kind of like a... Very, like, glandular. It's kind of glandular, but, I mean, rubella, sure, you come to Smogville, you're pretty much guaranteed to get rubella, but there's a vaccine for that. That's right. Measles, mumps, Mm -hmm. you got it. Um, And then as far as crime, we are in the process of printing up a pamphlet uh, with advice on how to avoid cons. Mm -hmm. I know Smogville has a reputation as having a lot of cons, a a lot of glim dropping, Mm-hmm. A lot of flim flam, and you've got to avoid a lot of people in this town in order avoid for a that lot to of be people. successful, including the mayor. Including the mayor. No, if the mayor like, comes up to you, let's say you find a violin on the street, and then mm-hmm. the mayor comes up to you and flaps his feathery arms around and mm-hmm. says, "Hey, that violin's worth a lot of money. There's right. a reward for it." Or some, you know, something like that. Don't fall for it. It's a classic violin drop. Right, and I, I've I've yet to shake his his hand and come away with my watch. Right. I've lost like three watches. And that's not even a con. That's just sleight of hand. Yeah. And it's damn impressive. It is impressive. It's, it's impressive. A, it's a mind I, freak. I don't want to confront him because I'm like, wow, did that just happen? Did you get that on camera? I say that sometimes. You say, you look around, where's the cameras? Where's the camera? And then I'm alone on a corner. Yeah. And I don't, don't know what time it is. <laughs> Which makes it really hard to catch the bus. It's disorienting. Especially because the buses don't really run on a time schedule anyway. Mm. 
Um, yeah, but no, we're almost done building our bobsled track, mm-hmm. uh, the speed skating rink. They're they're sweeping up all the sawdust right now and trying to figure out how to get ice in there. Yeah, they think the high school auditorium can hold upwards of 150 people. Yeah. So they they I don't know how much bigger these stadiums usually are, but you you can you can pack a lot of people in there. Man. No, the world is welcome here. Yeah, they are. That's the bottom line. Smogville. Bob Costas. Yeah. We're looking at you. He's uh, yeah. He's already got his uh, conjunctivitis for the Olympics here. <laughs> That's right. He preemptively got it. His Preemptive. eyes are, are are bloodshot as hell. Well, that'll happen as soon as you set foot in Smogville. So That's it's perfect. True. It's he true. Won't, this time it won't even be the talk of the town because everyone's gonna have bloodshot, horrible eyes. Right, including all the the Olympians. Yes. So come early. <laughs> Let that clear up a bit before you start your 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 lifelong competition that you've trained for since you were born. You might want to be able to see. The, the important thing is everyone will be at the same disadvantage. Oh, that's true. It's, it evens the, the playing field. Totally. So, Sean, last week I talked about my soda pop addiction. Right. May have hit rock bottom. Oh, no. Uh, are you familiar with a soda pop brand? Na- name some soda brands, actually. Why don't you? Brand? Yeah, like, like brands. Like no, PepsiCo? No. Sure. Yes, go on. Go oh, on. Like, like Dr. Pepper, of, Mountain yeah. Dew, Tab. Beef uh, drinker? You ever heard of beef drinker? Beef drinker. No, I've got to be honest. The beef drinker, no. Well, I had myself a bottle of beef drinker, uh, teriyaki beef jerky soda. Teriyaki beef jerky soda. Soda. It's got a a nice heifer on the front, a Guernsey maybe, a cow. Uh, It is, um, when I bought it, the nice lady warned me, be careful when chugging this because there are what she called floaties in it. And sure enough, I held it up to the light and there are, noticeable chunks of beef jerky. And that's beef jerky. That's beef jerky in the soda. Wow. It, it's interesting that something that's never occurred to me as a vegetarian is whether or not I should worry if my soda pop is vegetarian. Right. Yeah, you don't ever order a vegan pop, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I usually just say soda pop. Yeah, but uh, no, beef drinkers really got something going so, here. So now you have to start saying, are these soda pops vegetarian? Yeah, you're going to have to. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this vegetarian? Is this vegetarian? Is this bacon soda vegetarian? It kind of tasted like a, like a, you're familiar with the gin and tonic. It was kind of like a jerky and tonic. So if you took tonic water and oh, just, sounds awful. just mix it up with some teriyaki sauce. And lots of sugar. And, and lots of brown sugar and then crumbled in some beef jerky. Some beef jerky. I'm going to be honest. It was awful. It was awful. Oh, yeah. Sounds awful. It was awful. Okay. It was, because I thought, you know, well, maybe that's intriguing. Right. Because, like, chocolate-covered bacon, that turned out to be great. Uh, you know, very, sometimes things surprise you. Bloody Marys, that's kind of a savory, oh, sweet thing. You know what? That, you, there's people in England that put cheese on pie. Oh, cheese on pie is a huge thing. Cheese on pie. That's no, something. That's, that's also like a Midwest, down-home American Midwest thing. Right. At, at first blush, you, you, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Pork chops and applesauce. Yep. Another one that you wouldn't think firsthand. No, but uh, teriyaki soda pop. Mm -mm. No, don't do that. Not even for the novelty of it. It's not even worth the joke. No, make your own. Just make your own, and then you know what it tastes like. Or just go to your fridge right now and find that bottle of teriyaki sauce that you bought in 2006 Mm -hmm. that's still in there, and just make it and... Yeah, okay. (laughs) It's not good. Okay. Yeah, I passed on the chocolate bacon soda. There, that was also an option. That was also an option. I passed on was, that. Was I there actual floaties in there? I didn't notice. By, the, by that time, it was too far away. Uh, the lady, I bought this at the, con- the only convenience store for miles and miles in either direction. Mm-hmm. She said, come back and let me know how that is. Much like the McDonald's employee who sold our friend Jonas the uh, buffalo spicy chicken. And then I asked him and how said, it was. And said, no, said, dude, you got to come back and let me know how that is. <laughs> I love the idea of a McDonald's worker that does not have the access to the sandwich. To the dollar sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> got to come back. Oh, and man. I expect you to come back it's and delicious. be like, hey, re- hey, remember me? I ordered that new hey, sandwich. Is, let me speak to a manager. Is that guy back there that yeah. wants to know what this $1 burger tastes like? It's delicious. It's delicious. So yeah, I didn't stop by. Maybe I'll send him a postcard. And you should just let stop him know by. It it's never too late, you know. Maybe he'll. Maybe his grandson works there. Yeah. Uh, that's about it as far as catching up on on the business. On our we, soda pop news. Our soda pop news. That's a recurring segment. Is soda pop news. I'll keep you posted on this. 
Um, I'm brushing my teeth a lot more these days now that I'm drinking so much soda pop. So that's a blessing. Are you making an effort to drink more? How much are you drinking, man? No, I'm just, I mean, I'm just drinking. I mean, we don't need to talk about that. Wow. So you you, got to start brushing your teeth. The important thing is I know when I've had enough. So that's about that. Yeah. Well, I've had enough of this conversation. Good. I want to get into a mystery of the mysterious. Now, this, I don't know if this counts as a mystery. It's got some mysterious elements, but it's kind of, uh, well, I'll let you judge. Does it have a resolution? Well, I'll let you judge. Yeah, Mysteries of the Mysterious is a recurring segment. Uh, We kind of take turns coming up with a mystery. Uh, But instead of just discussing it, we do try to solve it. We solve it. And And so far, we've solved the Taos Hum. Mm-hmm. We solved the uh, Dyatlov Pass incident. That's true. And we solved the vanishing hard drives. The vanishing hard drives from Food Fight, the, yeah. the uh, Watergate situation with Pixar. Yeah. All right. Well, tonight we're going to talk about John Bingham, the seventh Earl of Lucan. Oh. And I'm going to start out by showing you a photo of, of the right honorable Earl of Lucan. Dashing. Jeez, oh, Louise. Dashing. That's a mustache to die for. That hair you could you could cut a diamond with. Very much a Pierce Brosnan looking guy. A handsome fellow. Handsome guy. He's with a, so this must be he's with a woman who sort of looks like Gwen Stacy. I'm guessing this is early sixties. Yep, you nailed it. Okay. So he was commonly known this is Richard John Bingham, the seventh Earl of Lucan, born December nineteen thirty four. December eighteenth. <laughs> <laughs> For a minute, I was like, I'm going to let that go. But then I thought, it's weird to tell someone the get... month and year of, of their birth when it was a long time ago, but not the date. Yeah, that's true. You're all, Unless you're, it's unknown. There's already two parts of that. You might as well tell the third part. So this is a British aristocrat. So he was a lord. He was also very wealthy. He was also, as you saw, very handsome. In fact, he was once considered for the role of James Bond. Really? Yes, literally. He was, uh, Lucan was noted for his expensive taste. He raced powerboats, drove an Aston Martin, so he kind of lived the James Bond lifestyle. Oh, wow. Um, so he was born in London. He was the second child of George Bingham, the sixth Earl of Lucan, and, and his what? Let's see. And then that guy's wife, Caitlin Elizabeth. And Dawson. That's Very much D- Dawson. Or no, not Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Caitlin Elizabeth. Downton Abbey. Yes. It, 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 this sounds like it's got some D- Downton Abbey elements. Yeah. Okay. In college, his, his early life wasn't really consequential. In college, John developed a taste for gambling. He supplemented his pocket money with income from uh, bookmaking, placing his earnings into a secret bank account, and regularly left school grounds to attend horse races. So think of yourself in college. Yeah. Like, this is very much not your, or is it your typical college thing, getting way into gambling? Oh, and he's the nobility. He's the nobility. I think if you're the nobility, then gambling is maybe the most tame thing you're getting into. Yeah, when you're true. A, when you're a handsome nobleman. Yeah. So, so this, the reason I tell you about this gambling is because this becomes kind of an issue later in the story. Ah. So I want to establish that this guy is not only living in this James Bond lifestyle, he's also risk-taking, financially mm. at least. And uh, one thing we know about gambling is the guy in the house always wins. It's that famous saying. <laughs> right, the guy in the house always the wins. The guy in the house always wins. Yes. So Lucan met his future wife. Only in this case it would be the guy in the flat always wins. The guy in the flat always wins. Thank you, Peter O'Toole. That's the, I, I think that might be the only British I can do. Well, we'll see, because there's going to be some British accent attempts later. Okay, he met his, Lucan met his future wife, Veronica Duncan, in early 1963. So you nailed that photo. Mm-hmm. That might literally be 19... Did you say 1963? I said early 60s. You got the... Good job. I, I didn't realize that Gwen Stacy was the look of, of your average woman. But it really is. This is even in England. She looks just like Gwen Stacy. Oh, yeah. No, Gwen Stacy was very influential. Or... Hmm. Or maybe uh, the other way around. <laughs> you don't think there was thousands of, of women buying Spider-Man comic books and going, this, this is the look. I want this outfit. I want to look like this Gwen Stacy character. So thousands of women in, in Britain 
who are the kind of women that rub elbows with the nobility. Right. Buying Spider-Man. Yeah, so there were the, the, the publishers in New York were like, wow, this is crazy. We're selling a lot of Spider-Man comics in England. Yeah. Mainly to the, the nobility, to yeah. the rich, richest women in the country are yeah. crazy about this at, Spider-Man. At the all-girl colleges, they're just buying up Spider-Man like it's tater tots. Yeah, wow. Okay, so Lucan married Crisps. Veronica. Two months after the wedding, what? Her name's Veronica? Yeah, that's also, oh, yeah. That's also a very 60s thing, huh? Yeah, because she kind of looks like, she's like a blonde Veronica, too. Oh, yeah, she looks like Betty from, from the Archie-verse, yeah. but is named Veronica. Veronica Duncan, that almost sounds like an Archie name. It does. So they got married. Two months after the wedding, uh, the sixth Earl of Lucan died of a stroke. So right after they got married, so... So this, this, uh, so John, convenient. Yeah, John, in addition to getting a reputed 250,000 pounds, he acquired his father's title, Earl of Lucan, Baron Lucan of Castlebar, Baron Lucan of Melbourne Lucan, and Baronet Bingham of Castlebar. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, you need like 50 weird rambling titles if you're nobility. Stuff's so weird, I don't fully understand it. Here's a part of the story that I don't even know if is relevant, but I really am, I'm glad they, they put it in this article. Lucan's daily routine consisted of breakfast at 9 a.m., coffee, dealings with the morning letters, reading the newspaper, and playing the piano. <laughs> he sometimes jogged in the park, and while he had, them, had him, took his Doberman Pinscher for walks. Lunch at Claremont Club was followed by evening games of backgammon. Returning home to change into evening dress... The Earl typically spent the remainder of the day at Clermont, gambling into the early hours, watched sometimes by Veronica. So, uh, you know, I'm currently in between jobs. Mm-hmm. Does I'm, that sound very much like your day? No, I'm really doing it wrong. The only thing I do is, is change into the evening wear and then go gamble and drink. But uh, the other stuff sounds nice, too. You don't get up and play the piano every morning? <laughs> Never. That sounds charming. It does. Take your Doberman pincher for a walk? Okay, he... He had written earlier, as a younger man, his desire to have, quote, two million in the bank, claiming that, quote, motor cars, yachts, expensive holidays, and security for the future would give myself and a lot of other people a lot of pleasure. <laughs> so that's I good, love it when people I know get rich. That's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> Although described by his friends as kind of a shy man with tall stature, luxurious guardman's mustache, so I guess his friends really loved his mustache, and masculine pursuits, <laughs> like any good Earl, his exploits made him popular. This is kind of his rise to James Bond sort of figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would hire private aircraft to take his friends to the races, ask a car dealer he knew to source an Aston Martin. He drank expensive Russian vodka and raced powerboats. And in 1966, he unsuccessfully screen-tested for the role of James Bond. So this was like, he got married, got the money, let's start living this wild lifestyle. Yeah. Well, that's after 66? Or 64. The, you know, yeah, 66. So, so, so he, he'd gotten so married. So Sean Connery was already James Bond. He would have been the replacement. Wow. So it's not like they're just desperate to find somebody. No. They're like, he is, as, he is maybe as good as Sean Connery. Wild. Yeah, yeah so... As a professional gambler, he was undoubtedly a skilled player, once rated among the world's top ten backgammon players. So this dude was like... <laughs> He's like the most interesting man in the he world. He really like, is. Yeah. But he gained the moniker Lucky Lucan because his losses easily outweighed his winnings. <laughs> he had interests in thoroughbred horses, although in 1968 he paid more in entry fees than he received in winnings. So this is kind of... Things, yeah, are not, things are turning. Yeah, that's not how you do it. Despite some arguments over money, his wife remained largely ignorant of his losses. Another great thing to have in a recipe uh-huh. for disaster. Yeah. So she started having mental problems and depression. And the combined pressures of maintaining their finances, uh, as well as his gambling addiction, Veronica's weakened mental condition, and it, it eventually took the toll on their marriage. And so they, they started to separate in 72. So he, this is when they really started to not get along because he was obsessive about his kids and his wife and what they were doing. So in an attempt to demonstrate that Veronica was unfit to look after his children, he began to spy on his family. 
So this is when the James Bond part really comes in. Okay. His car, people were seeing his car all over the place in the neighborhood, and he drove an Aston Martin. So he, like, it's not like, at the time, that would have been a noticeable car. <laughs> he also in, employed private investigators to uh, perform the same tasks. So he's just following his wife around everywhere she goes. And yeah, and watching her and seeing what she's doing and watching the kids. And then he started going to doctors. And he was trying to get the doctors to <laughs> diagnose her as gone mad, which I don't know is an actual uh, clinical diagnosis. Hey, only if you're part of the nobility. But yeah, but the doctors kept saying, no, she was, suffer- she was suffering from mild depression and anxiety because of a divorce. He's all, are you sure she hasn't gone mad? mad. <laughs> if, yeah, for an earl or a baron, the, the diagnoses are pretty much gone mad or have some troubles, or are suffering from a complaint. Mm-hmm. It's not the typical diagnosis. So he decided to take her to court over, over custody of the children. So his, Lucan's entire case depended on Veronica being, un, have, having gone mad and being unable to care for the children. But at the hearing, he was instead forced to defend his own behavior. So he was told, I guess he told the judge all what he was doing. And he's like, isn't she crazy? And the judge was like, hmm, you may be crazy. And then I love this. Uh, Unimpressed by Lucan's character, Mr. Justice Reese awarded custody to Veronica. So based on just... (laughs) Just his existence. Yeah, he just did not like this guy. My lordship, (laughs) I find myself most unimpressed with your character. Yeah, it's pretty good. And the crown has no choice but to award custody to Lady Veronica. Lady Veronica. This is an outrage! <laughs> so this, thus began the bitter dispute between the two. This is what he did after losing. He delayed... This is, sounds like the most British thing you can do. Like Downton Abbey thing. He's, he delayed payment to the milkman. <laughs> <laughs> so Veronica would have to suffer <laughs> without milk. <laughs> He delayed payment. He delayed, so so I guess it would just be improper to not pay at all. No, what he did is he held out a check, and then when the milkman reached for it, he pulled yeah. it back. <laughs> so by 1974, his financial position was dire. He was drinking heavily and started chain smoking. His friends started to worry, and then I love this in drunken conversation with some of them, uh, including Lady Osborne. I don't know who that is exactly. Sharon. Luke, oh yeah, Sharon. That must have been Ozzy's wife. Yeah. Lucan discussed murdering his wife. <laughs> always good. So this is always a good thing. If, if something bad is going to happen, maybe you should tell people that this would really be great if your wife ended up dead. So what you might as well say is, hey, hey, chums, mm-hmm. soon you'll be appearing on Dateline. <laughs> no, this, and this is when it starts getting, going from James Bond to just incompetent Dateline. So they have a maid. Her name, let's see, what's her name? Uh, Sandra. So they hire a maid to watch the children because there's no milk and the children are in disarray. Someone has to watch the children. She starts working for the Lucans. Uh, So one night, about 8 p.m. on November 7th, after putting the younger children... What what year are we looking at? This is 74. Okay. After putting the... So by this point, Lord Lucan probably has some chops. And he's probably wearing more of like a turtleneck or something. His hair's a little bit longer. It's maybe touching his collar. Mm-hmm. Turtleneck, plaid blazer. I picture Veronica having more of like a Janis Joplin hair. Kind of wild, bigger hair, maybe. It's definitely longer. Otherwise, what, what would 74 hair look like? Yeah. I, I just picture a female Robert Plant. I'm th- <laughs> oh, that, that could be. I'm thinking like parted in the middle, very flat and straight, like, okay. like a blonde share. Well, oh, she and would. really long. Yeah, that's perfect because she would be rich nobility, so she's not going to be as wild as Janis Joplin. Yeah. She may have a flower in her hair, though. Yeah, yeah. On her day off. Because at that point, the hippie culture is more commercialized, too. So. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah. So she, she would have been seeing it in her Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a mad. No, yeah. Yeah, we read Death of Gwen Stacy. That's what they were wearing. Or maybe she would just look like the, Ma- the Mary Jane character from 74 by that point. Oh, yeah. That her hair be. was probably in three little, like, spikes, <laughs> her bangs. Yeah. Okay, where was I? So... On November 7th at 8 p.m., after putting the younger children to bed at about 8.55 p.m., uh, Sandra asked Veronica if she would like a cup of tea before heading downstairs to the basement to make herself one. After she entered the room, she was bludgeoned to death with a piece of bandaged lead pipe. 
Sandra was? Yes, the, the babysitter went downstairs into the dark, got hit in the head with a pipe. Oh, no. Uh, to her death, kil- you say? Yeah, to death. She did die. Her killer then placed her body in a canvas mail sack. Meanwhile, meanwhile while wondering what had, was delaying the nanny, Lady Lucan herself descended from the first floor to see what had happened. Oh, no. She called for Sandra's name at the top of the stairs and then was attacked herself. Uh-oh. As she screamed for her life, her attacker told her to shut up. <laughs> Lady Lucan later claimed at that moment she recognized her husband's voice. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, do boy. say, Veronica, you're making a fuss. Shut up. I don't, I've never heard of this Lord Lucan. <laughs> that's a different guy. Oh, that's, this is where it starts. Oh. Have you heard this story? <laughs> okay, she, th- this is great how she, she got away. This is very, like, almost like teen comedy. So during the scuffle with the man whose voice sounded like her husband, she managed to turn around, squeeze his testicles, oh. causing him to release the grip on her throat and give up the fight. Oh, wow. So well, she got a good grip then. Oh, you ever had your testicles squeezed? I, but I mean, if you were, are you set on murdering someone? That will even stop you? Oh, it stops me. St- from, dead in your tracks. Oh, huh? it stops me on my way to the soda shop. Yeah, just, okay, well, there you go. Uh, but she's already heard his voice now. Oh, boy. Okay, well, now, well, now she's like turned on the light or something. Yeah. Because cause now, cause it stopped the fight. Yeah. So then the first thing she asks is, where's Sandra? At first, Lucan was evasive. Wait, now they're face-to-face? They're face-to-face, and they've stopped fighting. Wait, he tried to kill her. She squeezed his cojones. Uh Uh-huh. And now they're having a chat? No, he literally, when I say he gave up the fight, he just... Oh, I thought, I would assume he would have fled. Well. Okay. Well, yeah, that's what you would assume. So they're talking. So at this point, for Veronica, there's no question that he's the murderer. Of the babysitter. Well, to, in Veronica's point of in, view. From Veronica's point of view. Okay, but this sure. is a woman who may have, quote, gone mad. Good point. Good point. So she asks, where San, where's the babysitter? Where's the nanny? At first, Lucan was evasive, but eventually admitted to, to killing her. So where is she? Oh, Sandra who? I haven't seen, other, haven't the foggiest. All right, I killed her. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Terrified, Lady Lucan told him she could help him escape if only he remained in the house for a few days to allow her, to allow her injuries to heal, because she was kind of injured. So he's saying, I'll help you escape. Let me just relax and, and, and get better. So, she, and there's no motive at this point. No, at this point, yeah. This other point, than that he's of low character. Yeah, other than just something weird is going on. Okay. So he said, okay, let's go upstairs. Lucan asked her if she had any barbiturates and then went in the bathroom to get a wet towel. So he wanted, like, a Valium or something. It's, <laughs> sure. it's been a fussy day. <laughs> so, so then at that point, Lady Lucan realized her husband wouldn't be able to hear from the bathroom, and she made an escape and ran to the nearest pub. Just <laughs> so great. So he bought it, like, oh, good. She's going to help me escape after I tried to kill her. Yeah. And then she ran to the public house. Okay, right. great. So now, so now he's, he's realized she's gone, and he's got to make his escape. Uh-oh. So he gets... So they, the, when the police actually went to the last address that he was at, uh, they didn't find him, but they found a suit and a shirt laying uh, next to a book on Greek shipping millionaires, Lucan's wallet, car keys, money, a driver's license, a handkerchief, spectacles, uh, and a passport. Uh, and then his blue Mercedes-Benz parked outside. So he was doing that thing where you take a well-composed picture of all the stuff in your pockets that day and post it on Instagram? Basically. Okay. This is, it's just odd they would go to his house, a completely innocent man, and find literally your escape goods. <laughs> right. Like, this is what I used to escape. And they found his grocery list, and it just said murder supplies. Yeah, seriously. And th- so then the, the detective then went to visit Veronica at the hospital, and then although heavily sedated, she was able to describe what had happened to her. Like, yeah, my husband tried to kill me. <laughs> okay, so, so what, ha- what has Lord Lucan been doing? What they were able to piece together is that he called his mother a bunch of times. So uh, he called his mother. Again, he called his mother about 1230 a.m. They were able to find some letters he had written. So he, he had apparently ar- uh, arrived home a few hours after the murder, and he'd written a letter to his brother-in-law, and then he, he wrote a letter to 
this guy that owned a bar he liked or a club named Michael Stoop. And these are great letters. Oh, we've so got some... they've got the actual letters. So this, so Lucan has now killed his 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 nanny, choked his wife until she squoze his testicles, make, making him stop. And now she's at the hospital, and he goes to his house. He's getting ready to escape. He's got to write a couple letters, get his affairs in order. So this one is to Bill, his brother-in-law. Dear Bill, a most ghastly circumstance arose <laughs> tonight, which I dis- briefly described to my mother. When I interrupted the fight at Lower Belgrade... Okay, so interrupted the fight. So he claims that he was walking by his ex-wife's house and saw into the basement window that his wife was fighting with an intruder. Okay. That, so, that, that you need to know. so that's what he means by interrupted, uh, the interrupted fight. a fight. And the man left Veronica accusing me of having hired him. So she fought him. The guy said, your husband hired me, and then ran out. And then he ran in and took his place. Yeah. I took her upstairs and sent Francis to bed and tried to clean her up. She laid doggo for a bit, and when I was in the bathroom, left the house. The circumstantial evidence against me is strong, in that Veronica will say it was all my doing. I will also lie doggo for a bit, but I am concerned for the children. What is lying doggo? Face down with your butt in the air? (laughs) D-O-G-G-O. That's downward dog. Yeah. Uh... My only concern is for my children. If you can manage it, I want them to live with you. Uh, v has demonstrated her hatred for me in the past and would do anything to see me accused. And for George and Francis, uh, the most British children ever, George, George and, and Francis. Francis, to go through life knowing their father had stood in the dock for attempted murder and would be too much. When they're old enough to understand, explain to them the dream of paranoia and look after them. Yours ever, John. So, that's fair enough. Uh, so, let's see. So, they, they found, then found his car. The, he had been borrowing a Ford Cor- Corsair. And they found the car 16 miles from, from his house. In the trunk was a lead pipe uh-huh. covered in surgical tape. Almost identical to the murder weapon, the lead pipe covered in surgical tape. Amazing but coincidence. Maybe, a, maybe another piece of the same pipe, maybe? And a full bottle of vodka, which at this point you'd need that. So then this is the, the letter to Michael Stoop that he received from Luce Lucan uh, at his club, St. James. Dear Michael, <laughs> I have had a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidence. <laughs> oh, my God. However, I won't bore you with anything or involve you except to say if you come across my children, I hope you will please tell them that you knew me and that I cared for them. Holy shit. The fact, I love that it's like, so I won't disturbing. bore you with the details of me murdering my nanny and trying yeah. to kill my wife and escaping and calling my mother. The fact is that a crooked solicitor and a rotten psychiatrist destroyed me between them. Will be of no importance to the children. I gave Bill an account of what happened, but judging by my last effort, no one will believe me. And I no longer care except that my children should be protected. Yours ever, John. So messed up. Does so, he? Is he trying to? Do you think he believes this? I think he maybe believes this. He's one of those con artists that is living in his head. He's James Bond. Yeah, and, and everyone's been turned against him. Yeah, and it's just this conspiracy against him. And he probably even believes that he did interrupt an attacker. Gosh, maybe. So, for some reason, the detectives took this as maybe suicide letters. Oh, totally. So. They're, they're, they're <laughs> such, a, such a polite suicide letter. Yeah. I've had a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidence. <laughs> so they thought he committed suicide. So they searched this place called the New Haven Downs, um, the, which is funny because they, they did a search, used tracker dogs, and although they did not find John, they did find the skeletal remains of a judge who had disappeared years, years earlier. Well, that's, that's a victory. Yes, yeah, so I feel like that's cold case solved. Whatever happened to, to Judge Roberts? <laughs> well, at least we didn't waste our time. Yeah, so we found like... found the right honorable majesty of... Think about how funny that is. You're searching for a body, and you find one, and then you're thinking, I found it. I, this has got to be him. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is a different body. Oh. This is the wrong dead body. And it's the, like, how often do you find skeletons? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do the paperwork on this one. Okay, the forensics... Uh, now, let's see. Where was I? Okay, so now the media was starting to catch on, because this, you know, this is an earl. This is royalty, not to mention he's known as this James Bond, like, beautiful women, 
fast cars and all that. So by the afternoon of Friday, the 8th of November, the, the newspaper's early edition carried photographs of the Lucans across the front page, accompanied by the headline, Body in Sack, Countess Runs Out Screaming, and Belgravia Murder, Earl Sot. Sounds good. Very nice. Yeah, that'll, sell, that'll move some papers. Okay, the last person that confirmed to see Luke in alive, Luke in alive, because he's, you know, this he's just disappeared. Yeah, in the most clue-strewn disappearance of all time. Right. The last person to see him alive was Susan Maxwell Scott, and she told the court that the Earl looked quote disheveled, and his hair was quote a little ruffled. <laughs> well, that, how did I describe his hair in the picture? It was just oh, that's true. It was like it was just a plastic. That's true. Mold that he put on there. So if his hair's ruffled, there's obviously problems. She probably almost fainted to yeah. see his hair in, in such a state. And that's like the Kaiser Soze moment. She says his hair's ruffled, and the detective looks at the picture mm-hmm. that is perfectly oily hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, it gets better. His trousers also had a damp patch on the right hip. Ah, from where his nuts exploded. <laughs> so this is, this is just like, like seeing a werewolf to, <laughs> to, a, to this woman. Yeah. Lucan told, and this is what he told her, Lucan told her that as he was walking by, passing the house of his ex-wife, he saw Veronica being attacked by a man. He let himself in, but slipped in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. (laughs) He then told uh, the woman that the attacker ran off and that Veronica was so hysterical, she accused him of being the killer. And she's gone mad. And she's, yeah, she's hysterical. Uh... This, the, the courts did not buy it. This went to court. They tried him even though he wasn't there. And, and, and he, he's the first uh, member of the House of Lords to be named a murderer since 16, or 1760, which... Quite an accomplishment. It kind of is. Okay, let's see. Lucan remained absent. His description of a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidence came only from the letters he had authored. So he was never able to, to, to say his side of the story. Yeah. There was no sign of forced entry. The officers attempted to demonstrate how Lucan could have seen into the basement kitchen from the street. But to do so, you would, <laughs> you would have to stoop low on the pavement. So he would, he would have had to be not only walking past his ex-wife, but walking like in that Monty Python skit, like a duck <laughs> or something, or crawling on his hands and knees up the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. The basement light was also broken, so there was no light bulb there also. So that would have made it more difficult to see into this room at night. Oh, yeah. The man Lucan claimed to have seen could not have left through the basement's front door as it was locked, and the rear door led to a walled garden with no trace of escape. There wasn't, you know, this was a bloody scene, and there was no blood in the, in the garden at all. No signs that the man left the ground left, let's see, no sign that the man left the ground level front door were discovered. That was an awkward sentence. And then there was no witnesses saying they had seen any other man there. And a lot of yeah. people had seen, him, you know, seen the Aston Martin around the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, the last confirmed sighting of Lucan was at 1.15 a.m. on November 8, 1974, as he exited the driveway of Maxwell Scott, that woman, in a friend's Ford Corsair. Since then, uh, his whereabouts are unknown. De- the detective, this is, I think, very interesting initially claimed that Lucan had, quote, done the honorable thing and, quote, fallen on his own sword. <laughs> Which... <laughs> sure. And then uh, when asked Veronica where, where, she, where they thought her husband was, she said he's 250 feet under the channel. She believes her husband killed himself, quote, like the nobleman he was. So I like that we're proud of him for this. So this is so the thing that's great is this is a murderer, a man with no integrity, a degenerate gambler. That because of his title, the detective, his ex-wife, everyone just assumes he's done the gentlemanly thing, the honorable thing in a man who has no honor. He took a gentlemanly Brexit. <laughs> All right, so topical humor. Yeah, that's, that's good. Later, uh, upon more reflection, the detective changed his views, explaining that he considered it more likely that suicide was far from Lucan's thoughts. Mm. And, and the rumor, so we got Columbo up in this now. Yeah and, the, yeah, and there was rumor that he drowned at sea, which the detective thought was implausible, uh, and that the, the detective thought that the Earl had moved to South Africa. 
It doesn't really explain why he, he thinks that. Susan Maxwell Scott, the, the, woman, the last woman to see him alive, suggested that Lucan might have helped, been helped out of the country by shadowy underground financiers before, okay. be, before be. being judged too great a risk and killed and buried in Switzerland. Again, oh, so he got out, but then still was killed. Killed by his own men. And this is entirely just based on speculation? These are different, different people's theories. Just, but they're just... More recently, there's been a theory, uh, rumors, that the two eldest Lucan children were sent to Gabon in early 1980s so that their father might secretly watch them, quote, from a distance. So he's in Gabon. That's like by the Congo, I think. Mm-hmm. If that's even still a country. Which I... Which, I don't see how you have your two eldest children move there and then watch them from a distance secretly. How, what is the, how do you get in there in the first place? Yeah, anonymous letters and big Just lots, lots of, of letters. Pounds. Move here. Move Gabon, the greatest place to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, his mother dismissed the newspaper claims of sightings and all the other nonsense that it, and then reiterated that in her opinion, he, quote, he was not the sort of Englishman to cope abroad. <laughs> oh, it's awfully hot out here, isn't it? Oh, it's so so muggy here in Africa, oh, isn't it? Can't get a decent cup of tea. All right, so so first of all, do you think that John Bingham, seventh Earl of Lucan, was guilty or innocent? Was this an, a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidences? <laughs> no, he's clearly guilty. He's clearly guilty. Yes. Oh, he's raised in privilege. He has impulse control issues yes. with his gambling. He was obsessed with his ex-wife and children. Yeah. Stalking them. <clears throat> Projecting that she had gone mad, mm-hmm. which is a kind of, you know, that's the classic, oh, look what you made me do mm-hmm. type thing. I've seen enough Datelines. Keith Morrison's cocked his eyebrow on my TV enough times. So he did it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> okay. He, he has now, he's now been gone since 1974. Wow. In, it, so he was born in 34. So he, would, he was still a young man when he disappeared. Yeah. Now he would be about 80. I'm fascinated that everyone thinks he did the gentlemanly thing. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. That's the detective was yeah. like, he's, he's definitely killed himself by now. Yeah, no, he's done a good thing. I don't think, I, he seems like a pretty, I mean, he's, He's a liar. Right. He's deceitful. Mm-hmm. He's, he's what I call a sneak. Right. So I don't not, think not he... Not a gentleman, maybe. No, not a gentleman at all. Exactly. So I think he most surely fled. I mean, we, he already had... Earlier, we established that he had a secret bank account. Mm-hmm. So he's got to have more of those. He's got to have friends in low places. Okay. Because, you know, that gambling and all this underground stuff, hiring private detectives. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of shady friends. Yeah, he's got friends in low places. Um... He can't function abroad. He can't cope. Can't cope abroad. Mm. He was all over the papers, though. So if he's hiding... He's famous. This would yeah. be like uh, someone... Pre- I can't... Th- I, Papa John. I'm trying to think of the American... Yeah, Papa John. Papa, American Papa nobility. John. Yeah. Or, or the guy that owns the Mavericks. <laughs> Mark Cuban? Mark Cuban couldn't just disappear in the U.S. Yeah, Mark Cuban or Papa John. But this is the 70s, so there's not cameras everywhere. It's true. There's, there's a- not internet. There's one or two newspapers... There's the BBC. There's three television television stations. Yes, thank you. That's I a British word. It, well, it's it's a British. It's all the beef jerky I'm yeah. choking on. You do have a lot of floaties in your teeth. <laughs> um, so it was a lot easier to hide back then. Clearly, mm. you know, back then you could just go buy a plane ticket and they'd say, "What's your name?" Right. And you'd go, "Oh, it's Bill Frisco." Yeah. It's Bob. Oh, never mind. Uh, so there's that. I'll I'll tell you my theory. Yeah. I thought a lot about this. And I think there was another man there. You I think, think so? I think the last 40 years have been an unending heroic journey to find this other guy who attacked oh. his nanny and killed her and then choked his wife to the point of hysteria. So you think he's just always one step behind this other guy? Yeah. This, so it's a fugitive one-on-man situation. It's like that or it's like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. That makes like sense. The, the, the guy that's attacking his ex-wife. Yeah. That he's always one step of, uh, ahead of good old Earl of Lucan. Yeah. And this is, a, remember, this is a James Bond character. Fast cars. That's he, true. He, he raced, he, you know, he, th- those speed boats. And what does, he flees somewhere. He's used to the gambling, the, the fast lifestyle. Casino the luxury. Royale. Yeah, so he's not going to go to a quiet little seaside shack in Peru. No, he's, a, he's in Monte Carlo. Yeah. 
spent making million dollar bet. Yeah. So it's not really it really isn't his personality just to disappear. Like this guy but he wouldn't be able to cope up he couldn't go from this to going and living a quiet life in hiding. So where could he like, live uh, where could he uh, live out loud? Bad, you know? Where, yeah. where could he be himself and yet not be known? Because he can't be Britain. Everyone yeah. knows him there. What, well, he crossed into the Soviet Union then. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Russia. War. He's in he's in St. Petersburg mm-hmm. or Moscow. He's using his money to bribe the uh, the local policia or whatever yeah. they're called. Mm-hmm. Or is that Spanish? I don't know. Probably, it's probably the same. Whoever they are, the uh, the polit the politic bureau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it is. So he fled to the to the Eastern Bloc. That's that's the only thing with I his can connections, think of. and then he's able because no, they're not going to turn him over. And what an embarrassment for the Soviet Union to say they've been hiding a British murderer. Well, dude, the thing is, is he wouldn't really be hiding. He'd make himself useful. He's not just going to go over there and lay low and just yeah. be like, isn't Edward Snowden over there just kind of lounging around hotel lobbies and stuff? This yeah. guy is going to say, no, I want to be in the KGB. Sign me up right now. Send me on a mission. Like he, right true. now, he would be hold, he's holding on to the top of a train that's going through Siberia, a bullet train. That's true. He's fighting James Bond. So he's like a 006. Yeah. He's, he's, he's literally with like... with his knowledge of the British aristocracy... He's exactly like 006 in GoldenEye. Yeah. He's made a t- lot of friends mm-hmm. in high places. And fr- and <laughs> so his friends in low places helped him get across. Right. And then his friends in high places helped convince the KGB... Oh, yeah, it's, like, turn on it's yeah. like shoots and ladders. He's going up, he's going down. He's got low friends, high friends. Every- oh, yeah. And, and being British, he, he knows exactly how James Bond thinks. That's right. Invaluable asset to the Soviet Union. Yeah. Probably has a memorial that got torn down during the coup. Mm-hmm. So then what did he do when the Soviet Union fell? He had to run again. Yeah, well, the next place you would run is, is, where would you run after that? What's the most... Bangalore, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's probably. It's probably like uh, Rambo. He's probably f- fighting in pits with cobras. Yeah, or is he fighting? Or does he? In one of the Rambos, he's he, he's he's fighting a guy, and there's snakes that can bite them in the ring. I think. And then in another one, he's just raising cobras in the 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 one where he's like seventy years old. Oh, okay. In that Rambo, that's a good Rambo. Rambo, oh, it's just called Rambo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just yeah. called Rambo, and it's that's the first where he punches time punches off a head. He punches off a head. It's gory. He yeah. shoots arrows and blows people up and stuff. Yeah. But in that, I swear he's raising cobras. Like that's his job. In the middle of some, you know, weird. I don't even know what you'd call it. Just village. He's in a little village raising snakes that are poisonous. Uh, there you go. Solved. Solved. Once again. Stamp, stamping sound effect. Mm-hmm. Do you know Solved. what's great about this, Mysteries of the Mysterious, is just the, the feeling of closure we get, the feeling of satisfaction, knowing that these mysteries... And not mysteries, just us, but, but oh, our mi- listeners. Yeah, yeah, millions of people. Yeah. Just want, you know, there's a lot of people that want to know what happened to this Earl. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of former parts of the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. Canada, specifically Toronto. Mm. We are back. Act three begins. Season three of Degrassi Junior High. Whoa. Taking a little break. I'm back, and it's back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Mind-blowing. Episode 27, Season 3, Episode 1, Can't Live With Them, Part 1. Originally aired November 7th, 1988. Only eight months after the finale of Season 2, and yet the children have Mm. gone from pre-pubescent to pubescent. Mm. They are much taller. They're gangly. Their voices are weird. Wait, wait. How much time has supposedly passed? Well, it's just the next year. So it's it's, three months. It's 90 days. So three months have passed in story. Eight months have passed in air date, but maybe they filmed season two way before season mm-hmm. three. But everyone is taller. Their faces are longer. They're much more awkward. Mm. And, this, um, and this would be 14 years since the Earl disappeared. And 14 years since the Earl disappeared. So I don't think he can be any of these people, yeah. but they could be his illegitimate children. It's true. I don't think there's any children with the last name Snow, mm-hmm. but could be. 
Okay. Um, the fashions now that we're in uh, the fall of 89 are starting to look more familiar to me, personally. Okay. I was born in a while ago. Right. But now I'm seeing, like, those poofy MC Hammer pants. I'm seeing those satin, like, baseball warm-up jackets. Yeah, this is... Yeah, okay. So up to this point, it was, like, the stereotypical 80s fashion that I only know from, from the wedding TV. singer or whatever. Now it's like, ah, I remember those those outfits. Okay, it's getting into the days you can remember. The yeah. looks. The looks. The L.A. looks. The L.A. looks you can remember. So we start out, uh, Wheels, who is in uh, the band, Zit Remedy, mm-hmm. comes home late. His parents are playing a board game. His parents are really dorky. They're good people. <laughs> and But they're very upset that he's home so late because it's the... Because f- they're dorks. Because they're dorks. It's the first day of school tomorrow. And he's like, well, I was just hanging out with Joey. And they decide, you're not allowed to hang out with Joey anymore. You're banned from Joey. Wow, that was kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Very knee-jerk reaction. Now, poor Joey got held back. So he's still in a ninth grader, an eighth grader or something. Mm-hmm. I think an eighth grader. Uh, he's the front man for the band Zit Remedy. So this is awful. Um, his friend Snake points out, you know, parents are so unfair. His friend Snake points out, parents can't live with him, can't live without him. <laughs> and Wheel says, Wheel says, I could live without mine. Well, is this going to turn into a mystery of the mysterious? (laughs) Now, here's a mystery is Arthur, the the dorky kid whose best friend is Yik, Yik Yu. He shows up wearing this badass leather jacket. Really? And Yik is like caressing it. And he's like, wait, where'd you get this leather jacket? Aren't these expensive? And Arthur's like, uh, never mind. So there's your, there's a mystery Mm -hmm. to begin with. Now How we expensive are int- leather jackets? That's the mystery. How yeah. much do they cost? So now we introduce a new character. Now, Arthur and Nick were always bullied. They're huge dorks, too. Okay. There's a lot of dorks. Yeah. They were bullied, but now they're in eighth grade. They're determined to bully a seventh grader. They're tough guys now. That's the best way to get out of being a dork is to become a bully. Become a bully and declare yourself a tough guy. Mm-hmm. They say those words. So we introduce Bartholomew Bond, <laughs> who's carrying a briefcase and an umbrella like... Like the penguin, like one of those curved-handled, pointy umbrellas. Okay. Interesting look. This I don't remember, this look. He looks like a... If, if some villain took a shrink ray to Art Garfunkel. <laughs> a little Art, Art Garfunkel. He's a little Art Garfunkel. He's a seventh-grade kid who somehow is balding. <laughs> but has really puffy curly hair. Not much like Art Garfunkel. Wow. That much. No, okay. like mini Art Gar like it's like he's it's like he's cosplaying as Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't get over it. And this is the kid that's gonna get bullied. <laughs> he's gonna get bullied. I can't imagine enough. that. His name's Bartholomew, uh, Arthur and Yick start calling him Barty, and he's like, But I don't like to be called Barty. So they're pranked. Hence, tough guys. They tell him they tell him what classroom to go to, and he thanks them. But he goes into a utility closet, and he's like, "Guys, I don't think this is the classroom." Yik feels bad, and they open the door, and he's like, "Oh, thank you." Now, where's room seven B? And they say down the hall there, but that's there. That's room A eight H. So they direct you to the wrong classroom. So it's like a twist ending. Right so there. the poor kid, he's sitting there reading a Superman comic, and the teacher calls the roll and. You know, is there anyone's name I didn't call? Little Art raises the sand. <laughs> so embarrassing. So he's like, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong class. And then the teacher has some fun with the fact that his name's Bond. So, oh, really? There's some James Bond. Some James this Bond is, stuff. James Bond has come up twice now in yeah. this episode. Now, uh, where's Stephanie, who, as I mentioned, was as close as a main protagonist you can get previously. And they just go, where's Stephanie? Oh, she got sent off to a private school. So it's like the Avengers, like, oh, Natalie Portman's on an island. That's how they dealt with that character. Yeah, Stephanie's off at a private school. Stephanie's Arthur's sister. That's what they did with Pepper Potts in the new Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Aren't private schools very expensive? Nope. Just like that leather jacket. Oh. Weird. Uh, And then also, Yick catches Arthur reading the stock page of the paper. (laughs) Why is he doing that? <laughs> so everything's weird here. Oh, there's no resolution. This is all just... We, we kind of get, okay. get to that okay. eventually. Um, so, so what happened is there wasn't enough room at the high school. So the kids that would have been graduating to the high school are still at the junior high. Oh, that's right. It's very I remember convenient. That. Yeah. But then um, they do have some classes at the high school. So in the middle of the day, they got to get on a bus and go to the high school. 
And of course, those high school kids are so dreamy. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls falls in love with just the ultimate 80s Canadian guys. One of them's got the Kenny Powers hair. I was going to say, it's yeah. going to have some curly, fluffed up hair. Yeah, curly, fluffed up hair. The other is, uh, a, I almost said African-American kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously inaccurate. But mm-hmm. he's got like the round glasses, the perfectly razor sharp flat top. Oh, okay. And then like a, like a businessman's trench coat over a, like kind of the John Cusack mm-hmm. say anything look. So, so there, so there's some budding romance there. These cool high school kids. Um, let's catch up to Spike. Of course, she had her baby. Yeah, this is what I care about. Was premature labor was 12 hours long. The baby was in the hospital for six weeks, barely lived. Wow. Um, Spike's baby daddy wants to be a part of it, and mm-hmm. she's like, she won't, she wants nothing to do with him because he had nothing to do with her during the pregnancy. Right. And he's like, well, can I see the pictures of my bastard child? Is that rude to call? It probably is, huh? Is that a bastard child? A bastard, yeah. but it is a bastard. Is it? Well, it was born out of wedlock. The only... I, I just know Game of Thrones, yeah. what it means. I don't know if it's used public. It's, like, probably, just it's probably very uh, very rude. It's probably I would I would guess so. So he wants to see pictures, and he's like, well, I just want to be involved. And he's like, you want to be... Or Spike, you want to be involved? Come over and change the diapers. Oh! Boom. Right there. So anyway, so we're catching up to a lot of people. Wheels, uh, his parents are going to a movie. They invite him along. He doesn't want to go. Um, so he, they go to the movie. He sneaks out to band practice. Oh. They're going to record their demo. Something you and I can very much relate to is they do a magnificent take on their demo, but forgot to hit record. Oh, yeah. We've done that before. A few times. Forgot over to hit the record, years. or it's unplugged, or something. It's, it's, it's something you don't. It's an emotion you, you don't know what it's going to feel like until it, you experience it. And it's hard to describe. Yeah. It, like, is, it is like... Because it's such a specific thing of doing... You, you, it's, you're feeling so great. You just nailed it. You did this great episode. Really funny. Really entertaining. And then it's all for naught. Yeah. Not even recorded. So... I mean, maybe it's like winning a championship and then the review shows that your shot was after the buzzer. It's it's like being told you won the lottery and then being like, oh, I'm sorry, I got I got your name mixed up. Well, let's jump onto that. Arthur admits that his mom won the lottery and won Whoa. over won over a million dollars. Wow, that explains the leather jacket. Yeah, that explains won, the private school. She, she won the lottery and now he's investing. So now he's way into investing way into the in the stock market. But anyway, the zit remedies at practice. Joey says something uh, to the effect of, "I swear on my mother's grave." Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, that's, your mom's alive. And he goes, it's just an expression. <laughs> anyway, Snake and, and Wheels are walking home from, from uh, band practice. Cop car in front of Wheels' house. <gasps> His dorky square parents called the cops on him because he snuck out. What is wrong with these parents? Oh, well, you'll find out what's Call wrong. Call the cops? No, that's what Snake and Wheels are discussing. Snake walks off. I can't believe how dorky your parents are. Then Wheels goes, Grandma, what are you doing in this cop car? <sighs> this, is, this is fucking intense. Your parents on the way to the movie, drunk driver, going too fast, didn't see the light. They're dead. They're oh! dead. They're dead. Whoa! Cut to the bouncy music, of course. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So holy shit. That's a heavy de- That's what I call an ending. You yeah. Know, we, we were talking last week about the finale of Game of Thrones. It ain't got nothing on the premiere of Degrassi. Exactly. This isn't even a finale. No, no. Now we jump to part two. Um, I, I, I wonder if he's going to have any kind of guilt in this season. Oh, you wonder about Survivor's that. Survivor's guilt. You wonder. Well, part two. <laughs> My God. You watched it? You watched part Oh, I two? had to watch part two after that. Yeah, it's true. You watched it immediately. Immediately, I yeah, because also it auto played. Right. Um, well, by immediately, I mean in 19 seconds. Yeah, these are all on YouTube, by the way. If anyone's just joining us, that's okay. where that's where I'm watching these. Okay. But I think I, I well, not DVDs. No one uses DVDs, but whatever. Um, so part two, Snake and Joey are talking like, "Oh, can you believe Wheels' dorky parents? They called the cops on him." And then the teacher comes in and says, "You know, one of our students lost his parents last night." So the kids don't really know how to handle it. We see the funeral, and uh, everyone's there wearing black, very sad. Very, uh, the, the pastor is reading very moving words. But the pastor is also Captain Canada. Okay. So he's like, 
We are gathered here today <laughs> to mourn the loss of two wonderful people, yeah? Taken before their time. <laughs> Is that bad? That bad. It's like, pretty extreme. Yeah, like he might as well have just been like made out of maple syrup <laughs> and flannel. <laughs> um, so what do we need now? Uh, how about a nightmare scene? Okay. <laughs> where Wheels is asleep, and they're like, come to the movie with us. Why won't you come to the movie? And then as he opens his door, and they're standing there covered in shadow and doing like the, ooh. And he's like, Mom, Dad, what are you doing? I thought you were dead. We are dead. So th- this is like the, Wheels' origin story is the origin story of Batman. Pretty much. Yeah, it's exactly the origin story of Batman. Which I'm glad we're getting to that, because now we got little Art Garfunkel <laughs> talking to Scooter, and Scooter's very small for his age. Okay. Um, he's the adorable little kid, and he was uh, up-jumped. He's so smart, he got, he got moved way ahead. Mm-hmm. So they're having this big argument about Superman versus Spider-Man. Art Garfunkel says, I like Superman because I prefer superheroes with superpowers. All Spider-Man can do is shoot webbing. And, Which and is inaccurate. Inaccurate. Now, Scooter counters, but Spider-Man has a girlfriend, and he says, so does Superman. Spider-Man has superpowers, okay? He's, he's got a lot of superpowers. He's got spidey sense. He can crawl up the walls. He has super strength. Super strength. Yeah, he, he has Co- really... The coordination. Yeah, coordination. He can jump and, and stick to walls. Did you say stick to walls? Yeah. <laughs> Shooting webs is like the least of his abilities. That's an ability that he, he makes bracelets. Right. That shoot, we- shoot webs. That's not even a power. So if, um, if the producers are still alive, I'm going to track him down and write him a letter to, of complaint. This is the, it's interesting that James Bond has come up twice, and now Spider-Man has come up twice. Yeah, Got some good themes. Good themes going. That's, that's the way we do. That's why we're the world champions. It's podcast. true. We are the champions. And of course, people are listening. You know, it's just like, oh, did F. Scott Fitzgerald really mean that kind of symbolism? Like, oh, did Sean and Brighton really mean to tie these? Of course we did. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're professionals. You think we're stumbling into these jokes and stuff? These are well-researched, well-thought-out. Yeah, just showing up and spitting words into a microphone and tripping over our own tongues? Of course not. It's not how it works, kids. So Wheels finally returns to school. His friends are trying their best to comfort him. So what happens naturally? Wheels beats the hell out of Joey, just like it's Dean Ambrose on Seth Rollins. <laughs> just fists flying, Joey in a heap on the ground, just punching him over and over again. Um, Wait, what did he do? I missed something. Well, Wheels has just got a lot of issues to deal with. Oh, this is the, ba- this is the Batman This stuff. is the Batman coming out. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think his grandma tells him, like, it's, oh, you know, of course you're going to dream about them. It's going to be hard because, you know, he feels weird. So he goes and apologizes to Joey, and the last word is, Joey, I'm really scared. And Joey goes, oh, man. And then cut to, again, the bouncy music. <laughs> <laughs> so we are just kicking this off with a bang. I took a little break, and I'm so glad to be back into it, because it is exciting. I'm really excited to see where little Art Garfunkel goes. I hope he develops a crush on somebody bigger than him or something. They came out swinging on this one. Boy, did they. Um, since we're talking about wheels and we're talking about death, let's just, let's just bring it on home and, and also end on a bouncy music note. Uh, wheels is the only cast member who has indeed passed away. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was my age and had a heart attack, so that's exciting. Wow. Yeah. He was young. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know what I thought was prerequisite. Like, when I was a child, the prerequisite to a heart attack was being old. Being old, It wasn't lifestyle, it wasn't anything else. It was like, this is something that happens when you're old. When you're very old, yeah. So to hear someone dying in their 30s of a heart attack. Yeah, someone who, you know, wasn't like, they weren't like, blimp the salt lake city professional wrestler who weighed 700 pounds but yeah but they they do look like a bloated matt damon <laughs> right so that's not good yeah it does not bode well so uh check these out we've probably linked them on our facebook which you just search for world champion podcast keep in mind it's champion with an n there's no it's not plural uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry you just looked at me with the well very, the way you, you said that very distressed the way you said that was like it's not plural as in you are the champion and I'm not. Oh, I see. So said, it's world champion. A little jab. Yeah, I, I picked up on that. <laughs> it's world champion. I mean, the original name was world champion and his squire. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying there's, there might be something else called world champions podcast. 
If you're hearing this, you probably already know how to find our show, though. I hope so. So I'm not too worried. Yeah, worldchampionpodcast at gmail.com, worldchampionpod on Instagram, Smogville Fair on Twitter. Our next uh, Degrassi is called A Big Girl Now. Lucy begins spending more time with Paul at the expense of her friends, and Kathleen snubs Melanie after being elected vice president. I don't like any of those characters. I might skip that one. Okay. We'll see. And then, of course, we'll be back with more Mysteries of Mysterious, yeah. more Tales from the Fringe. And I'm, I'm taking a week to, off. to Blow Your Speakers. Yeah, I'm taking a week off from Blow Your Speakers, which I'll explain later. Yeah. And um, that's the end of the program. Please leave us a review in iTunes. We don't mm-hmm. emphasize that enough, and we don't have enough of those. So leave us a review or a star rating in iTunes, please. At the very least, a star rating. Mm-hmm. And do tell your friends. I don't want to break character, but this is the kind of show that really relies on word of mouth. So tell your friends or your forum mates or your gaming guild. Guild, crew, club. Or the the other noblemen down at the public house. That's right. And and on an unrelated note, call your mom. Tell her you love her. Yeah. Why not? On a related note, again, tying into both stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah.